Welcome to the Global Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast. Please like and subscribe. Also visit us on social media, um, on Facebook, that's Global Seventh-day Adventist Church, or um, we also have Instagram, Goebbels Youth. Please check us out there. Also um, on our website, GoebbelsSDAChurch.org. Um, please uh, join and join us Sabbath mornings at uh, 9.30 a.m. for Sabbath school and 10 a.m. for church. Happy Sabbath. Um, bow your heads with me again real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, um, thank you again for the opportunity to worship, Lord. I want to ask you to be with me and help the words I say to be your words and not mine and help uh, us all to get a blessing from it. In your precious and holy name, amen. All right. How, how many of you have ever heard the name Andrew Brunson? Has anybody? Um, so Andrew Brunson was, uh, he's a, I think he still is a teaching elder in a Presbyterian church. And in 1993, he made the decision to go to Turkey as a missionary. And he served there for over 20 years. Um, in October uh, 17 of 2016, he was arrested and charged with terrian, uh, terrorism and espionage and trying to overthrow the Turkish parliament just for being a Christian pastor. He spent two years in a Turkish prison, and luckily, because of public outrage, he was released, but he was forced to uh, leave Turkey, and he was no longer allowed to be a missionary there. Um, another story I, I found um, was from about Miriam Ibrahim, um, and she was a Sudanese Christian, um, but in Sudan, uh, if one of your parents is Muslim and one is Christian, if the father, you're considered legally whatever your father's religion is. And her father was a Muslim and her mother was a Christian. And she chose to be a Christian. Um, but So legally, she was considered an apostate Muslim. And she was arrested for it and she was sentenced to be tortured and killed. Um, but once um, being arrested with her nine-year-old son, it was found out that she was pregnant. And so I guess in an act of mercy, the government decided they would delay her torture and her punishment until, until her child was born. Um, and luckily... The story got out, and uh, in order to avoid an international incident, they released her, but they banned her from ever coming back to Sudan. Um, and so today she's living in the United States, and she's an outspoken advocate for religious freedom and against religious persecution worldwide. Um, in July of 2017, um, Kavian Fala Mohammadi, Amin Afshar Nadiri, and Hadi Sagari fled Iran. Um, after they were charged with operating house churches. And Pastor uh, Victor Tamarez and his wife, um, Shamarine, f- had to flee Iran in the middle of the night. Um, uh, the, the night before the 65-year-old wife was to be, uh, was to be tried and was most likely going to be sent to a prison named Evan Prison, which is a torture prison in Iran. Um, and so... A lot of times in the United States, like we talk about religious persecution, like, oh, what's coming? Um, and we think about like religious freedom, like it's the norm. And like what we have here is the norm. But throughout all of world history and even today, it's actually not the norm. Um, throughout much of the world, Christians can't practice their faith uh, freely like we can. We got a small taste, but, um, you know, having our churches shut down for three months, but it's nothing compared to what's going on around the world. And yet at the same time, in the United States, 
one of the most popular forms of Christianity is called the prosperity gospel. And I looked up uh, the definition, um, dictionary.com defines it as a modern version of the gospel, according to which the full blessings of God are available to those who approach him in faith and obedience, and they include wealth, health, and power. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the experience of many Christians, you know, living today, who I, I believe, you know, are obviously true Christians, right? Because they're, they're, they're not forsaking their faith, even under persecution. And I think, well, that doesn't really exactly line up. And then we think of the fact that a lot, that, um, a lot of preachers, right, uh, prosperity preachers, they often talk about how if you donate more or if you give more, more of God's blessings, you know, will be poured out to you. And a lot of people have gotten really rich. Now, in the Adventist Church, we don't teach that. But I think, and looking at my own life, right, I think a lot of times we, we can get the idea that, right, we go to church on the right day, or we, you know, give 10%, or we do all the things we're supposed to do, and so God is supposed to bless us. Um, when in reality, like, we, all those things we do, they, they actually, they don't earn us anything. Christ earned our salvation, right? And so anything we do out of love for him is not necessarily a guarantee of blessings in this earth. Um, another fact that I was, I was kind of thinking about is there's a lot of these, a lot of movies that I really like, you know, these Christian movies. And one thing that was kind of bothering me lately is a lot of times we have, you know, the entertainment we like, right? It's, there's got to be, you know, a problem and it's easily resolved. And then, you know, everything is happy and go lucky for the, for the Christian protagonist at the end. Um, or even the music we listen to, um, and, I think of, you know, some of the old hymns, um, and I think of, like, uh, I think it, um, the song of Peace Like a River, and I think of this guy who he's talking about peace, and he's talking about joy, and yet when you know his life, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't happy and go lucky, and um, due to, you know, due to our, our religious freedom here in this country, we've had it remarkably easy um, for a very long time. Uh, there's a, before we open the Bible, there's an interesting quote I read from Mrs. White, where she says, the work that the church has failed to do in a time of peace and prosperity, like we have now, she, uh, she will have to do in a terrible crisis under most discouraging, forbidding circumstance. Um, and uh, as we open up, um, if you want to open up your Bibles, um, we'll in just a minute to Job chapter 1. Um, what a common thing, and I know I've said this, and you know, I've thought this, and um, Sometimes when something happens, right, tragic, like, a, you know, a child is killed in a car accident or, you know, somebody way too young gets cancer, people will say, well, like, well, we can't see the whole picture. God sees the whole picture. And, you know, in his plan, you know, this, this is somehow it's working out for his good. And that's kind of never really sat well. Uh, so let's uh, open up our Bibles to Job chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to read verse 1, and then I'm going to read verses 6 through 12. So Job 1, and I'm sure you're all familiar with the story, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Verses 6-12 through 12 say, And now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Then the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around in, on it. The Lord said, to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and the house and all that he has on every side? 
You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. So in that story, like, is it that God is causing negative things to come on Job's life? Or is it God's will that negative things come on his life? Or is it that he's allowing Satan to show, to, to make an example, right, of him, right? And he's allowing Satan to live out his plan so that we can see, you know, the end result of what sin and death and what we've chosen as a human race. But it's not God's plan. Um, so, and also, and even in that, God didn't, even when he created, right, when we can see God's plan, right, if we look at Eden and how God created it perfect before sin, um, and even in that, he didn't leave us, like he didn't just give it and then like leave us no expectation what would come if we chose a different path. Um, turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, uh, verses 15 to 17. It says, Genesis 2, 15 to 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. So there we see God gave a warning, even in a perfect world, right, what would, what would come. But it wasn't part of his plan. Um, Genesis chapter 3, if you just turn just a little bit over. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 24. Uh, God continues, he says, Then he said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the, pl and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from what you were taken, and uh, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Then the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. Then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed, clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand, and take from the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God us sent him out from the garden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim, the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Um, so, so there we see that, you know, suffering and pain and all that stuff wasn't part of God's plan. But when we chose, we chose to live out a different path, and God is allowing that for a time. And then um, back on the thought of prosperity preachers, I figured that there had to be some biblical evidence, right? There had to be some of our biblical heroes who would, who would prove that, right? And so I started looking, and then I thought about Isaiah. He was a pretty godly guy, and, you know, went and did what God did. And I was like, well, he must have ended well. And then I, I found something a little, a, little, a little strange for that. It said, Isaiah was sawn in two. Peter was crucified. Paul was beheaded. Andrew was crucified as a missionary to the Middle East. Thomas was run through with four spears. Philip was executed by a Roman proconsul in Carthage. Matthew was stabbed to death. Bartholomew was martyred in unknown fashion. James was stoned and stabbed to death. Simon was killed for not offering sacrifices to the sun god. Matthias was burned alive. And John died of old age only because they couldn't boil him alive. 
Um, and then even further, um, 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 4, and then chapter 19, verses 10 and 18. 18, verse 4. 18, verse 4 says, For when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. And then over to chapter 19, verses 10, and then verse 18. Verse 10 sa- uh, 19, 10 says, He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. But then moving down to verse 18, God says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Um, and so there we see, you know, Jezebel obviously was persecuting God's prophets, but even there there was a glimmer of hope, right? Because Elijah thought he was the only one. He thought, oh, my, my trouble is so terrible. And then God said, you're not the only one. And that's an important reminder, you know, even in the end times, God is always going to have faithful people, and we're not going to be alone. Um, and then if you go back in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 6 through 21. And here we see David had just committed the sin with Bathsheba. And in his trying to cover it up, he calls Uriah, who was a good man. And in verse 6 it says, Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab, Joab and the people and the state of the war. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and a present from the king was sent out after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord. It did not go down to his, his house. Now when they told David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Stay here today also, and tomorrow I will let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, and he did not go down to his house. Verse 14, it says, Now in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter saying, Place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. So it was as Joab kept watch on the city that he put Uriah at the place where he knew they were valiant valiant men. The men of the city went out and fought against Joab and some of the people among David's servants fell and Uriah the Hittite also died. So here we see in this story, right? David is trying to cover up his sin and Uriah had so much honor, right? He wouldn't do what the king wanted. And so he, and, and, and his reward for it seemingly was lost his life. Um, now turn uh, back to Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Now it says, The man had relations with wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. 
So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came to pass about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And there we see something interesting, right? There was two, two people, two kinds of worship, right? And Cain, Cain, because even though, like, either one of them could have, like, Cain could have gone out and done what God had asked properly, but he, he chose to do it his own way, and Abel didn't. And that bothered Cain, right? Because Cain saw conviction when he looked at his brother. And rather than just deal with that, he decided, you know, Rather than look at it and say, you know, I could do what God asked me to do too, he decided to kill the person who was faithful. Um, and now going back to Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 31. First Samuel chapter 31, verses 1 and 2. And we, we read about... Uh, says, now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan and Abinadad and Malashua and the sons of Saul. So what's what I found interesting about that story is Saul lost the kingdom because he chose to rebel against God. But what do we read about Jonathan throughout all the Old Testament, right? Do we read about him being an apostasy? No. Instead, we see he protected David, right? And he loved David like his own brother. He's the guy who had so much faith, he took, told, went up against a whole army of Philistines with just his armor bearer. And also, it's no light thing, right, that he was the rightful king after Saul, and he was openly willing to step aside and allow David to be king when God anointed him. And even he still lost his life right alongside his father. Um, and then we talked about Paul and how he lost his life. But was his life before that easy? Well, it included being stoned and surviving, being beaten with rods and surviving, and also being in a shipwreck. doesn't sound like the easiest life. And then, uh, if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 to 35, the ultimate example for Christians. Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 to 35. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him, they put a scarlet robe on him, and after twisting another crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him, and they took the reed and began to beat him on the head. After they had mocked him, they took off the scarlet robe, and they put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. And, when they, and then they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of, the skull, of a skull. They gave him wine to drink mixed with gall. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. So there we see even Jesus, right? And obviously we know even before his death, he didn't have an easy life. And his own church you know, was constantly looking for reasons to kill him. 
Um, now if we go back just a few chapters to Matthew chapter 16, and see what uh, God is saying to us there, to his followers. He says in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26, it says, uh, Matthew 16, 24 to 26, and it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Um, so there we see, and then after just reading what happened to Jesus, right? Taking it across is no pleasant affair. Um, and then there's a few quotes before we go to the next passage, right? A few quotes from John Fox, who wrote Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, he said, a good Christian is bound to relinquish not only goods and children, but life itself for the glory of his Redeemer. Therefore, I am resolved to sacrifice everything in this transitory world for the sake of salvation in a world that will last to eternity. Next quote says, Germanicus, a young man, but a true Christian, being delivered to the wild beasts on account of his faith, behaved with such astonishing courage that several pagans became converts to a faith which inspired such fortitude. Next quote says, I maintain no doctrines of my own. What I preach are the doctrines of Christ, and for that I will forfeit my blood and even think myself happy to suffer for the sake of my Redeemer. The next one says, O ye papists, behold, ye look for miracles, but now may you see a miracle. For in this fire I feel no more pain than if I were in bed. For it is as sweet to me as a bed of rose, roses. Therefore he resigned his soul into the hands of his Redeemer. Our next one says, My Lord Jesus Christ, for my sake, did wear a crown of thorns. Why should I not then, for his sake, again wear this light crown, be it so ignominious? And then he said, I fear neither death nor fire being prepared for both. Um, at the martyrdom of Faustines and Javida, brothers and citizens of Brescia, their torments were so many and their patience so great that Celesiris, a pagan, beholding them, was struck with admiration and exclaimed in a kind of ecstasy, Great is the God of the Christians, for which he was apprehended and suffered a similar fate. His astonishing constancy during these trials and serenity of countenance while under such excruciating torments gave the spectators so exalted an idea of the dignity and truth of the Christian religion that many became converts upon the occasion. And the last quote by Fox, it says, Those who were taken experienced the most cruel tortures the infernal imaginations could invent. And their constancy invents that a real Christian can surmount every difficulty and despise every danger to acquire a crown of martyrdom. And then the historian Tertullian wrote, and you've probably heard the quote, it says, the blood of Christians is seed. Right, so if the prosperity gospel isn't true, what is the actual gospel? Like, what is the actual good news? So, um, so starting out, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The doom and gloom is over. First uh, Corinthians chapter ten verse thirteen. And it would help if I was in the right. First Corinthians chapter ten and verse thirteen. It says, "No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it." So we're not going to be tempted above what God will help us bear. Um, and the next, uh, for the next one, go back to the Old Testament. Psalms 46, verses 1 through 3. Psalms 46, 
Psalms chapter 46, verses 1 through 3. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. So there we see that God is with us in our trouble. And then uh, turn back just a little bit to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10, it says, Then he said to them, Go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Right? And so what I was reading there is like, God's joy is to be our strength. Um, And then uh, the final one uh, in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. It says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So the promises we've gotten so far is that we won't be tempted above what God will help us bear. God is with us in our trouble, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. God will uphold us, and God will uphold us. And so even though we may not be able to preach, you know, riches and wealth and power on this earth, right? We, can't, we do have pretty good news, nonetheless. So the final, for the final verse, um, turn your Bibles to the last book and last chapter, Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 to 14. Um, it says, Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. So while on earth we are not promised an easy life, we are promised life in eternity without sin. So today, who wants to join me in saying that we want to start trusting God now? So that when the bitter trials come, we're ready. Bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, um, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here again. Thank you for the freedoms that we still have in this country. and Help us to appreciate them, Lord, because we know so many people don't have them. Um, please be with us now as we go out and help us have a blessed rest of our Sabbath and help us to live for you this next week. In your name, amen.